0: Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and today's guest, returning guest in my series of checking back in with previous guests on the podcast, Hamish Blake. This is an absolute ripper. Everything Hamish talks about in this podcast I found insightful and interesting and hilarious and it went all over the place. And he brought a level of intelligence and compassion and understanding and humor to each of the topics that we talked about today. So yeah, this is, this is a... This was just a really fun episode to record, despite the fact that we were dealing with a lot of technical issues. We had to swap the way we were recording it a couple of times, but Haim just rolled with the punches. He's so good at being on his feet, not losing momentum and uh, keeping engaged. I just love this. Intelligent, uh, compassionate, understanding, just levels of the way that he thinks about the world. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. If you like this podcast coming out weekly, you can help it coming out weekly and help me pay everyone that helps me coming out weekly. Uh, Podcast Mike, who gets a big shout out in this episode. Uh, James Fosdark, who does all our original art. And everybody else involved in the podcast uh, needs to get paid during this time. And this is my only income during this time. So patreon.com slash Willosophy is the place to support the podcast. A lot of people have been doing that. Uh, Signing up, which is fantastic, even at the $1 a month level, it all helps. It really does. I know not everybody has money to do it during this time, and I I want to be able to put it out for free for those people, but for those who can afford to support the podcast, it is really important right now, so I appreciate that you are doing that, and I'm going to put some extra content up on the Patreon page. I've started answering all the messages on Patreon, so if you want to sign up to Patreon and send me a message about the podcast, I will definitely get back to you, whether it is a guest suggestion or just something from one of the episodes that you really responded to. Um, If you want to contact me about any of that, join up to the Patreon page, send me a message and I will get back to you. I know how to log in now. But in the meantime, I hope you're doing well and uh, enjoy this episode with Hamish Blake. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is how the podcast starts. Well, actually, I'll explain what I'm doing first. Uh, if you are a new listener to the podcast, welcome. Uh, during this time, I only have one real rule with this podcast is that I do the conversations face-to-face because I like to, you know, actually have a conversation and a catch-up with a person. But that is against the law these days. I can't just be going to random strangers' houses. to. There's no podcasting exemption to the social isolation laws. So what I am instead doing is catching up with previous guests on this podcast and all they have to do to qualify for this is be a previous guest on the podcast and have their own recording equipment so it sounds okay. So somebody who has ticked both of those boxes in a massive way is today's guest. Who are you? That's how the podcast starts. I say who are you?
1: I am Hamish Blake and I think it's generous to say that I've ticked the professional recording requirement in a good way because it took us 12 minutes to set up what essentially is one (laughs) plug-in.
0: You've worked in media for a very long time. You've worked in radio for a very long time. But it often occurs to me, very much like a stand-up comedian and their microphone and microphone (laughs) stand, if something goes wrong with either of those pieces of equipment on stage, I am lost, despite the fact that for 30 years I've been standing in front of them. I have no idea how they actually work
1: totally at sea like you know the the pilot does not have to know how to put the joystick together and i'm aware that we're uh aligning ourselves with the skill level that you would need to be a pilot when we both work in industries that just literally have a microphone and power and that's it like as long as you've got a mic and a plug and a power you should be fine but yes you saw me panicking running in out of the my, i'm in my bedroom here at the moment because like i've retreated back this is like my alamo this is the last maybe soundproof part of the house and i'll warn you there'll be screams there'll be kids in here any moment but for the moment we're holding but i had to run in and out doing something that we see in radio a lot which is uh quote-unquote to go and get engineering and engineering are magical people that work at radio stations who can fix technical problems and we're the guys that just sit in the studio twiddling our thumbs and usually it's like one button but it can it can burn a good hour
0: now, there is this thing in radio that is famous amongst radio people, but pretty much unknown to the rest of society called the ISDN line, right, which is a line that you can get from another place. Well, allegedly, the theory of this line is that you can get a line from another place and it can sound like you're in the exact same studio, <laughs> yes.
1: but it is a magical, it's a magical piece of equipment.
0: For some reason, it never works the same way two times in a row.
1: Totally, totally. I mean, I don't know. If, I mean, funny we're talking about this at the moment because I feel like Zoom is slowing you down here. And it literally, as you said, ISDN, I got like some weird squelch and scrambling, which is kind of what happens all the time for ISDNs. Yeah, million, dollar, multi-million dollar radio stations—they sit there. Anytime anyone's meant to be connected, like, between Sydney and Melbourne or something, it's like a good 10 minutes of people yelling at each other. I think it's at your end. It's always at the other person's end.
0: Uh, so tell me this, Hamish Blake. Uh, you mentioned the idea of um, children being able to burst in at any moment. Um, how has quarantine time been for you as a parent first and foremost?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of... I mean, I've really enjoyed it. Look, f- overall, my headline would have to be I've really enjoyed it because... My little boy, Sonny, he's five, is about to turn six, depending on when this comes out. Um, And like, it's his first year of school. So we spent the last summer, like, the whole summer was this psychological pump up for like, you go into school, you go into school, and you know, you're going to take your lunch every day. You got your polo shirt you got to put on. Like, you got to remember your hat. It's going to be awesome. You'll learn how to read. And so every day was like, really, yeah, like, you think you're getting them ready, but you're also psychologically like, preparing yourself like oh that's it you're not going to have like your best mate at home anymore and have your little buddy running around and you know that you're preparing as a parent for that like okay this is going to be different he's like he's taking his first steps out of the nest and he's not here with us anymore and then he was at school for five weeks and now literally this week I think is the week where he's been out of school for longer <laughs> than he's been in school for his whole career so in a funny way, it's like we got to get last year back. Like, you're sort of, like, prepared to lose your little guy to the world and now, like, we just cheated and got it back. So cause we are just going to, like, walks around the neighbourhood and just kicking the footy in the backyard and wrestling and having battles with dinosaurs and stuff. And I sort of didn't think that was going to happen on a Thursday anymore.
0: Well, mostly also because, I mean, you had done a lot of, taken a lot of time out of your life and your schedule to do those sort of things anyway, you
1: know. Yeah, I was bracing for it. But... But there is I was like I was like savouring it. I was like that's it. It's like I suppose it's like before you go on survivor, like going, All right, I'm gonna eat ice cream, I'm gonna have hamburgers and like that's it, I've gotta really brace myself for it. And then you get there and it's just a buffet every (laughs) day.
0: and not even able to kind of leave the house so for a kid this is your ideal scenario right like it is just it has to be constantly playtime because there is no differentiation between home time and playtime your home is now the place that you'll play the,
1: the the strange thing that's true and and like you know and like any parent you're just trying to improvise the whole time just trying to make it up and what you realize is too like it's your job to be the leader in this situation like that's a if you fall into the trap of going what do you guys want to do it's kind of a cop out because you're making it a team group think when you know that it's not their job to have ideas like you're the parent you've got to lead the way and you do find yourself slipping into it the whole time you're like oh you guys want to go what do you what, do you, what do you reckon you want to go go back outside see if we find any insects under the bushes <laughs> and it all it, 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 it all comes down to sales technique like you have to go guys come here team huddle this is the best I heard that there's a bug outside, but we've got to find it. It's under the bushes somewhere. You got to you got to keep the, the you got to keep the hype up because otherwise they'll smell that this is very boring. <laughs> so your whole game is like selling kind of real it, it, you basically become like a travel agent for a really shit tour of a country no one wants to visit, but you're there like pitching it in to try and get your commission. Be like, guys, you're going to love this. Oh, man. You know, visit the. Visit the box factories of the Delaware region. Like, you are going to love It's so interesting. How do they make it? Where's the folds go? You're going to love it. So that's sort of, that's become my whole life, just really trying to overhype boring activity.
0: Well, here's the thing. We've had pre- p- plenty of, you know, experience in the professional media where occasionally we have to overhype something <laughs> that is completely boring.
1: So <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Our whole life's become a live read. Yeah. Where we're, basically, <laughs> where we're basically talking about the most incredible car running out you've ever heard. Get on down this weekend where there's going to be, there'll be stale muffins. There's going to be a football identity from 1998. You're not going to believe it. You're going to get it yourself, a basically new car for 22990 drive away.
0: Guys, I know you want to hear more about the cricket, but first a word from Bugs. Bugs hide under things in the garden. And I think it's really important. Um... In when in your real life world, when you are being pitched ideas, because what you've basically got to there is that there can be a difference between the quality of the idea and the quality of the pitch of the idea. Do you ever, like how, how is it when you guys are pitching each other, you know, things that you might do? Because I imagine in the process that, you know, particularly when you're working with Andy and the amount of times that you did things that were like, you know, either you're playing like a prank on each other or you're challenging each other. So you have to constantly come up with these ideas and these concepts and so there'll be pitches right not every idea is going to be a great idea so how do you differentiate the quality of the pitch from the quality of the idea
1: that's a really good question and i reckon um there's definitely timing we learn over the course of things and you know this from radio too timing is a huge one because you you know like let's say putting together a radio show if the show is pretty much full for the day. And and everybody works differently in radio. And the way we would work is we'd have like literally like 12 spots to fill per show and, and there'd be a whiteboard with 12 boxes on it and we would have like one sentence in those boxes because we like to leave, you know, obviously like 99% of it to happen on air. But if we were like, whatever it may be, like, you know, from the podcast recently, hey, I found a store called Wayne's World in Queensland that's, you know, got nothing to do with the movie. I'll, we'll talk about that there. Then it would just be like one word, Wayne's World or whatever. So... Once the show is full up, though, you realise if sometimes you have other ideas that you're excited to talk about um, because, you know, you might have thought of something the night before and you want to share it with the team. But if you throw it up and the show's full and then it just goes, okay, well, maybe we'll do that tomorrow, you know that when you get to tomorrow, it's got a stink on it and no one wants to do yesterday's idea tomorrow. The, the amount of times that, like something, we call it the bench, like you just have a little list of ideas under the show, you would never come in and put something from the bench on So it was like, there there was often like the best ideas maybe we ever had would just sit on the bench for months and the longer you're on the bench, the less chance of a game you were going to get. So you'd learn to just like, you'd be sitting in, you'd be looking at a a notebook full of like 12 ideas going, I'm just, you just got to feel out the three that are going to work here. And then oftentimes with Ando, like it would be, you know, you'd know that, that you had a germ of an idea but but it needed something from the other side of the fence to, to flesh it out. Like I know I needed Andy to hear it to then have the next, like have the magic other part of the key turned on the idea. So sometimes it would be me and Andy talking together before we were like we'd had it figured out to pitch it to the team because you don't get a chance to pitch again. Like you do, even though we're all best mates and everyone wants the show to work, whether it's TV or radio, there is it still counts what people hear first still counts so you've got to do it at the right time like I'm even now going through that with Lego like you know it's it's myself and like there's the executive producer of the show and and a few people that produce the show who think of the challenges right and so certainly for season two I really enjoyed being more involved in like thinking of what we could do on the show like challenge wise for the episodes and you know, you get to the end of a season of Lego Masters and you sort of go, well, I do not we're completely out of ideas. Definitely all the best ones ended up on screen. I'm so glad tons of the ideas we had didn't end up on screen because in hindsight they were stinkers. And you, like, you feel like there's nothing left in the tank and there's that weird thing of going, if we go again, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I don't know what we're going to do for a season three. But you remember feeling that exact same thing at the end of season one. And then the other day I had what I reckon is the first germ of an idea for what we could do in season three. And I was chatting to David McDonald, who's the executive producer. And I was like, look, I don't want to go to the early crow here, but I reckon I've got something. And then he was like, don't tell me, don't just wait. Like, let's do it on the day. we have got to do it properly. We all sit down. We're in the zone, we're thinking about the show. if I because if I told him on the phone, even if it was a ripper, we're not if we do season three, we won't plan it for months. By the time we get there, it'll be known as that old idea. So you've got to sit on it.
0: I mean, I love the idea of um you know, collaboration and how important that is to like, you know, working out an idea and I'm just doing a very long uh, question here because I think my internet went a little unstable in the middle of it. So I'm basically giving time for the Zoom to catch up and say, hey, are you back? I feel like from the reaction on your face, you're actually back with me, buddy. So... I'm back, I'm back. Um, so uh, have you thought about collaborating with Andy on you know, kid-raising ideas? I mean, could you give him a text message and say, look, I'm working on something, all I've got so far is bugs and backyard. Do you have anything you can add to this idea?
1: I mean, he'd be good. I mean, he'd of, of, of course he's always a great secret source to add to any idea, but you give me too much credit for the effort that goes into the kid ideas <laughs> because they're like from, you know, with TV, from... Thought to execution can be a year With radio, mm. it's kind of like a day You think about it at lunchtime And then, you know, it's on that afternoon With podcasting, pretty similar Like any idea that you're on the podcast Is probably only a few hours old With parenting, those ideas were made seconds ago <laughs> These are, these are like Straight and they're And that's what, like the quality is terrible That's why the salesmanship has to be so high
0: <laughs> <laughs> What is... The most boring thing that you think you've ever conjured kids into thinking was an interesting activity.
1: Great question. I mean, you're always you're always selling it to yourself as like this is good life experience or this is good hands-on. I mean, a lot of parents do this, to, to just timing stuff. I mean, honestly, just timing things is you know internally you're like, there's no fun to this, but. Let's like literally let's go to the shops and let's walk down to the supermarket and let's see. Let's all have a guess at how long we think it's going to take. And we'll hit my stopwatch on my phone. And then when we get there, let's see how close we were. And even as you're saying it, you can't, like, you're bored already saying it. You're bored for them, but you can't be. You can't let them smell it. You can't let them smell how boring this is. You have to keep it, you have to keep it exciting. So there's some real, yeah, there's some bad, there's some bad stuff that. That that you that you do. And that's what I'm remembering, like just on the boredom thing, and you know, a- again, well, may I add to the chorus of people doing shout outs to teachers and how incredible teachers are of all levels. But the thing I forgot doing home learning, like doing this, like learning from home um experience, the thing I forgot, right? About school is it's repetitive. And it's, dare I say, I mean, it's essential, but it's boring. It's right. so boring. Like we we've we've grown up now, Will, as adults, and we've treated ourselves to a, a life devoid of that repetition and boredom. Like we don't have jobs where you have to do necessary yet boring tasks for the majority of the day. So then when you're like sitting down doing this learning from home stuff and it and they have to trace the letter W and it's taken like 20 seconds to do the first one and you're looking at the whole page of Ws and you just think, oh, fucking hell, this sucks for you. This is so bad. This, I'm so sorry you have to sit through this. And I'm battling with the boredom. Like I'm really battling with – and then you would finish that day and you've got to do it again the next day. It's crazy. I could never go back to school.
0: Uh, have you had to explain anything to them about – I mean, that they're pretty young. So is there – what explanation of what's going on in the world – and what understanding of that do they have if if at all
1: i mean rudy my little girl's two life has not changed for her really at all like we just hang out we we dress up in a lot of stuff every day and we have a lot of tickle fights and then it's bedtime and that's kind of her life anyway so but for sunny of course like you know when you've got a five-year-old i don't know if this is responsible of us or not but it's become a thing where zoe and i you know we explain you know there's a thing going on and and there's there's a virus and 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 it's germs and and it and the germs are little and that's why we wash our hands in the same way we always wash our hands and but we've got to be really careful about it now and and so he totally understands that i mean because kids they got they got much less projection than we do as adults and they have got much less extrapolation than we do like where we are we look at this as a disaster and we understand the implications and everyone's thinking about like, you know, the social implications and the mental health repercussions and the economic things. And, but for kids, they don't have that worry and they don't need to have that worry. Like it's just a, it's a lifestyle disruption for them. And the thing, sorry, I was going to say, I don't know if it's responsible that we do this or not, but every time we mention, you know, we can't go to someone's house or like we can't go to the beach or whatever, I, I notice it's just become a thing when we say that We always go, because of the virus And we do like wiggly hands And we sort of give it like this This like villainous personality We're like, you know Hey, Sonny, well when, you know When the virus is over But it's become like a thing And now he's he's doing it as well And then there's a bit of me going Are we Is this? Are we making light of the situation too much? But I think it's just become like a. It's like a jingle it's got in our house It's like a shorthand for... Why things have changed. But I think it's it's always important to explain to kids like what you're going, to some extent, sorry, I'll preface this by going like to some extent, I think it can be helpful at times for certain things to go, well, we're a bit confused too. Like mum and dad don't really know what's going on. We're listening to the people in charge and we've got to do what they say, but this has never happened before. So that's why things might seem a little bit strange. I think it is important sometimes with kids to Let them know that you're processing stuff as well just so they don't feel like the fact that they're having to process things or they might be having confusion or weird feelings is anything wrong. Like I suppose my goal is to give the right amount of information to my little boy to make him totally safe and understand what's going on but also at the same time to to make him feel comfortable in the fact that it's not weird for him to have to be processing the fact that this is different.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's going to be tough to go back to school and everybody else is talking about what happened. And you're like, I don't, it, my parents never mentioned anything to me. I'm... <laughs> my,
1: par- my parents told me the school burnt down and they were rebuilding it and they were going to rebuild it in exactly, exactly the same style as it was before. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's as an easy and simple an explanation as what is the biggest lie that you think that you, like at some stage you're going to have to stop telling your kids, right? Because the big ones, and again, I, I don't mean to spoil any, you know, the, you know, we all know the, the big ones, the Christmas one and the Easter one and those sort of, you know, widely, widely <laughs> I, accepted, yeah. these can... are the areas where it, where it's fine to lie to children
1: we we can talk about that further on this podcast i don't think there's too many kids that are like sneakily stealing their parents' iPhones at night to listen to philosophy under the covers i mean if they are and they're still in that like pre-enlightened uh, stage for Easter and Christmas. Good on them. Um, you, guys, you deserve to know the truth because you're obviously a pretty enterprising young kid.
0: Yeah. I, here, here's, here's, here's what I was going to say about that, Hamish, was Normally I wouldn't, I, like, I, like, of course, I swear I do all sorts of th- talk about drugs, all sorts of things on this podcast. So <laughs> it's not for children. But So I normally wouldn't have even, like, hesitated in that moment. But I was very aware that you were my guest. And there just might be some kids who love the Lego show, who've Tuned in because they think they might get some, you know, brick man gossip or something, oh, right. and they're so, suddenly going to find thing, I out. Thought that... You were
1: protecting me. <laughs> I was like, "No, what, do you mean, <laughs> what, what are you talking about?" <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, look, those, those, those are big ones, and I, and I, you know, you kind of go, oh, "Well, it's magic and it's fun and stuff," and it is fun to to play along. There is a great argument to go. You shouldn't do this to your kids because it's. You know, I don't know if 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 anyone listening has read like John John Marsden recently released a book on parenting called The Art of Art of Growing Up and in it he makes a pretty good argument for just going we shouldn't tell this lie to our kids because in other countries, you know, like Ireland's got fairies and leprechauns and stuff, but everyone knows it's it's mythical. Everyone knows it's sort of a, like a story of mythology and you understand it with through that prism of fiction. In, in western culture like it's just become a flat out lie so there's a point where these people that you trust more than anything and you, in like your survival and and well-being depends on this unconditional trust and love that you have going but you just gets rocked and the only excuse is oh, well i mean it was a gateway to a lot of chocolate and presents so what are you gonna do Take, win some lose some so that, uh, that is something that plays on my mind. It could work equally as well by just saying there was this
0: tradition of this guy called Santa Claus who would visit everyone's house so every year we, your parents, are going to buy you nice things in <laughs> yeah, honour of this
1: tradition rather <laughs> <I don't> than... <laughs> rather than just completely going, well, magic... Completely exists. Um, You should never answer the door to any strangers. Although it's totally fine for one to come into the house once a year and just like intimately be in our home because they bring presents. It's it's full of weird messages. It's just it's a minefield. So I got that to unravel at some stage in the coming years. But in terms of uh, in terms of other terms of other lies, um, what do you do? I suppose I suppose just you know you keep. I I, I suppose the only one... This is a weird one to bring up, but I keep, like, the reality of, like, guns and what guns are for as sort of... I know he's going to have... Like, I had a Call of Duty stage. I haven't grown up Mm. to kill anyone. Like, I know he'll have that stage in his life, but you kind of just keep... You're not... I suppose you don't you don't attack the question of like what are guns and what do they do with the same vigour that you might attack uh, how is a rainbow made or where do bricks really come from and you're jumping online and having like a fun, you're finding out YouTube videos of how it works. So like any kind of like violence related, I know it's the real world and eventually he'll get there, but that's those are the smokes and mirrors that you're constantly, constantly dangling in front of them.
0: Yeah, that's where you want people to find out about guns when they – Eventually have to find out about guns It's fine There are guns everywhere in popular culture They will find out about guns They don't need to be the first kid in class Who knows about guns That's going to mean That you're going to have to visit the school For an official meeting
1: Totally For their science For his like year one science fair I don't need him to be able to strip an AK And tell you if it's Chinese made or Russian made
0: Guys, it was the most amazing show and tell this morning. Like this kid came in, completely stripped and reassembled an AK-47. Yeah, he's
1: good too. He's good. He uh, he knew to get the firing pin the right way. So his kid knows what he's doing. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, are your kids into Lego? This must be a question you get asked all the time. Are your kids into Lego?
1: They are. They are. Um Sunny is just kind of like legitimately Rudy is because she is just ferociously competitive with him and is just into like literally just into anything he's into if had it occurred to her to like steal his hair because he's got some of his own hair she would try and steal his hair so there's a bit of that going on but like he's he he's into it and and I I'm like I don't want this to become like it it's it's just like so ubiquitous in our house like I'm just like pumping him full of Lego because I have I steal a lot from the show like I I think it's that thing of like when I first started working on Lego because I was a kid that loved Lego but you know you're obviously like saving up all year or begging your parents for like one little set suddenly when I realized oh my god I am on a show that we've got all this Lego and I'm the host and I can abuse this power like completely abuse this is it unfair no one else can steal it from the show but I reckon if I stole, uh, then everyone would just... <laughs> It would be, just be like a charming, rascally thing For the host to be doing So I'm just like Within reason I'm stealing a lot of They'd be wrapped
0: they they, they convince themselves they convince themselves it was a good thing yeah. They'd be like so, Look how into the show he is It's so glad he's, like, he's got it at home You'll talk about it more This will be great for the promo We've totally. got an authentic host They would put it in their budget At the start of the season The amount <laughs> they're going to lose On you stealing Lego totally. It's budgeted
1: Di- for Different if it was Andrew O'Keefe Taking money from the suitcases yeah. on or no deal, probably different thing. Like, hey, Keefey, you didn't take the hundred thousand dollar case, did you, mate? Ah, oh, you know me. I'm such a fan. I'm a huge fan of money. You know, I see it on set all day, and I thought I'd take some <laughs> home for the family. So yeah, kind of. I've, the, a bunch has been stolen. And I'm sort of bringing it home, and I'm like showering them with leg and stuff. So I, I don't, but I don't want it to get to the point where he like loses that feeling that we had growing up, where it's like this is crazy. It's special. Like every set is special. So I have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit, so I don't. Like, you know, flood the house too early with too much Lego. Because it kind of goes... The whole point of Lego is you're not... You know, you're meant to have a limited amount. That's what sparks the imagination. You're not meant to have three million bits as a kid where literally anything is possible. Hey guys. I'm just going to interrupt because the Zoom call is about to... Expire. Oh, do we have to call back? So I'm going to drop out of the call and then it shouldn't... It shouldn't drop out. But it's sounding really good, guys. Well done. Oh, yeah, great. It's, I mean, not great, but good solution. Thanks, man. Cheers, <laughs> <Jeez>, man. <laughs>
0: That was good to have that Uh, very on brand for Mike, uh, who will be listening to this, of course, As this is not (laughs) behind his back, because he is the person who's going to edit this. Um, That is, couldn't leave without giving us a little bit of encouragement. Yeah, sounds great. What I love about Mike's encouragement is always, yeah, but it always makes me think, oh, man, like, now I am actually thinking about how it sounds. Yeah, up until yeah, totally. that point, no, yeah. I assumed it was sounding great, but him <laughs> telling me that it was sounding great as if there was some, now it's allowed the possibility that it wouldn't be sounding great into my mind, and Absolutely. I hadn't considered that up until that point. He
1: he works on our podcast as well because, you know, podcast Mark is across, I think, legally every single podcast in the world, and, yeah, sometimes you'll talk to him a bit about the podcast afterwards, and I swear I've heard him say, no, no, man, that bit was good. That bit was really funny. like, What? What? Yeah Sorry, that bit? Oh, okay And you realise he's just sitting out there He's sitting out there keeping a mental log Of everything he's enjoying and not enjoying (laughs) Yeah, he's a tough critic
0: yeah, but always offered as positive uh, affirmation. That's, that's what I love about his criticism.
1: None of it actually sounds like
0: criticism because it is all a compliment that actually makes your mind. Now, it could be more about our minds and where they go to now that I'm actually saying all this 100%. out loud. This, this, sure. this
1: is just our chronic insecurity that just needs Mike to all the time say, hey, just before you start, I'm sure this will be, as everything you do is 100% flawless. You're the best. Signing off. Yeah. Thanks, Mike.
0: Hey, can including I ask a question? this riff that I will either choose to leave in or cut out.
1: <laughs> yeah, depending on depending on if we if this paints him in a positive light or not. You'll know if if Mike's left this in he he saw it as uh, he saw it as fair and uh, fair and equitable uh, feedback. Hey, can I ask a quick question? Because we're on Zoom here, and I know like no one can see anything, but in the background of your Zoom, you've got something that I'm getting commented on a lot that I often have in the background of my Zoom situation, which is color coded books. Um, do you have a lot of people commenting on your color-coded stack of books?
0: Yeah, so there's a stack of books in the corner, and it's not actually just a stack of books because it would look, it's stacked pretty much to the roof, and that would be,
1: it is impossibly tall. Yeah,
0: I think that you would be looking at that, you know, with your and think Will Anderson should be on the next season of uh, Lego Masters, and the idea is we're going to build things out of books. If he has the possibility that he, <laughs> and, no, and,
1: and we've. We- where re- we're removing the clutch power of Lego to stick the pieces together because this guy can balance. This guy should be on Balance Masters. So,
0: it, it, no, it's a it's a book stand that just makes it look like all the books are on top of each other. So, But they are colour-coded and I have another one over the other corner of my room. The, oh, no, you can only see the back of it, but it was also differently colour-coded. So yeah. um, I'm a fan of the colour-coding of books. So am
1: I. I mean, my wife did it to us. Like, I've been... On Zoom a little bit lately, and I normally am just doing it like in our what our room, like that has our bookshelf in it. And my wife color coded the bookshelf, and it really blows people away. Where everyone's just like, "Sorry, can't focus on what you're saying. You've got a color coded bookshelf behind you. That looks incredible." But people, it's funny because it carries with it this like aura that you're like that it's hyper organized, but it's actually a lot easier. You only need like four colors. Instead of like 26 letters of the alphabet. So when Zoe did it, I was like, that looks incredible, honey. She's like, it took me like five minutes. Well, firstly,
0: alphabetically, that's a fucking nightmare. Like, no, am I, am I, are we doing it alphabetically by author? Are we doing it alphabetically by title? Because mm. if I've got the same author but different titles and they're far away, I, the only the other option it, other always, than colour code.
1: I, I was do it alphabetically by the way I felt about the book. So like awesome is obviously at the, at the start. If, if something's a bit zany, <laughs> it obviously goes towards the end. <laughs> and this one uh
0: the encyclopedia of xylophones is obviously
1: <laughs> yeah but that was interesting um, for i so it's a confusing it's a confusing system
0: and it was an amazing book about xylophones so the thing is you just never really know where it is <laughs> um no what i was going to say is that um i i used to have like you know fiction or non-fiction or like sports or you know those like put them into that more that sort of category but i realized yeah. that that's The time you spend then deciding if this is a sports... Is this a comedy or is this an autobiography or is this a like...
1: Mate, totally. Preaching to the converted. The reason books are organised at the library is because strangers come into the library. People that didn't put the books away are the ones borrowing the book. On your own bookshelf, like, you're the person that put them in your bookshelf. You know where they are. I also... I mean... I'm also one of those people that buys like eight books at a time in this like fit of just deciding that you're now going to be a person that reads a book a week and has just tons and tons of books sitting on the bedside table. So the idea that I've got, that I'll be revisiting books, so I need to categorize them in a way that makes it convenient for me to revisit them in the future and saves time is ludicrous because I don't think I'll ever get through my book stack.
0: No, these are all the books that a person other than me is going to read because... I buy books for another person They are not for me There is no way in the life that I lead That I can ever get through the amount of books that I have enough books for me To read for the rest of my (laughs) life But I have this other person in my head I'm shopping for Who is a real voracious reader
1: Man, you should meet Impressive Hamish Because he's the kind of guy (laughs) That instead of just watching The Sopranos For a fourth time he puts aside every Tuesday and Thursday and he reads for three hours before bed. And he's well he's very learned. His vocab is great and he has a great he's got he reads the classics, he reads modern fiction, he's well versed in like current self help stuff. He's across it all, man. You should meet him. He's he reads.
0: So I buy airports at books that are about a current topic, you know, so whatever it might be, it might be some financial situation the world's going through or you know, some the environment <laughs> or like the, the Me Too movement or something that specifically there's a lot of articles or tweets or facebook messages about and i'm like you know what i need to do i need to do some deep research (laughs) on this and i've recently a deep
1: dive on something that's gonna take me four months to finish and then it will yeah it's like if if there's a book that's like you know Sanders v Biden like who's going to get the nomination like I'm going to get into this book and then by the time you finish not as relevant as it was
0: that's a great example of exactly what I mean so I've just recently moved house and I decided I would do a cull and in my office basically my shelves fit about 50 books on each shelf so I was like I'm going to narrow it to 100 books even at my greatest if I gave up everything else that I did I certainly would not be on this podcast talking about it if I could read two books a week but however if I was going to read two books a week, there's my books for a year, a hundred books, and so I'm like, well, what do I cull? Because there's gonna, I'm going to have to cull books out of here that I have not read, and I found it remarkably easy because it turns out I had a lot of books about issues that
1: had been resolved. Like so completely done, guys. We YGK bug never bit us. We're okay. Is there is there one book that you can think of that is your like that 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 perfectly characterises will now versus the will you would like to be. Like what's the most optimistic book you reckon you've got?
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So like, yeah, a, a, an aspirational book, a book that I have on my shelf. A that book that I think... when you
1: bought it, you would love to find out that you're the person that actually did sit down, read it, digested the information, took that information, moved forward in the world um, and was able to share that information with others.
0: Uh, AC Graylings. I'm looking at it. It has a pink cover. Um, and by the way, guys, even if they're categorised in their colours, I've worked out a remarkable thing. If you can actually just use your eyes, you can work out which books are which. Because <laughs> I have just turned around and I've looked <laughs> at the bookshelf and I've immediately identified which books are different to other books.
1: A lot of books will often use the English language, which is a, <laughs> the system of symbols we're all familiar with to write something on the spine.
0: Uh, you know, the old expression, they've always said it you can judge a book by its cover. So. <laughs> I'm going to read you. Uh, actually, this will this will be even more fun. I'm going to okay. read you a list of what is up there, uh, just random list. I'm going to. P- In fact, you know what? Pick a color, Hamish. Uh, um,
1: yellow, like orange, play, pink. I'd, I'd like to play green. For orange for fifty dollars, please. Will
0: okay, orange. That's a good category. Okay, all right. Here we go. This is what I um, uh, need to know about the world of orange. Uh, here we go. Misogynation by uh, Laura Gates, which is a book about... Um, what was your favourite I you sp- uh, haven't opened it yet, but I <laughs> <You> believe... <misogynized. laughs>
1: hey, I bought
0: the book, man.
1: You bought the book. I All bought the book. This is, oh, this I'm is, an this ally. Is, this is you greenwashing. This is you just buying it so you can wear it around as a badge. <laughs>
0: I'm covering my bases come the revolution. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. Look, misogynation. It's right and there. I kept it
1: in mint condition so, so, so other guys can read it. So
0: that one's about obviously you know uh, you know women's role in today's society and probably a look back at past things. I don't know. I haven't read it. Um, there is a book called Factfulness, oh which, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's one that's really going to take a look at this fake news world that we live in. I don't know if you've heard that we live in a world you're... now that has some fake news in it. Now nah, but...
1: I think I think that that problems that problems only increasing. So good to just leave that one until it's a critical situation and you can jump in then.
0: Uh, What Should We Be Worried About? Oh, this one's dated. Who needs that? That's a book by scientists uh, outlining the sort of things that rather than things we are worried about in society, there's things that will probably come. Bet there's a big juicy chapter on pandemics in there that is now (laughs) going to be
1: completely out of date. Doesn't feel topical. (laughs) Um, All right.
0: Uh, So far, very aspirational. Uh, Now, one I've read. There is actually a book up there that I've read. Next. A uh, book by um, Bob Ellis that came out about twenty years ago called First Abolish the Customer, um, but I wanted to reread that, so that's gone back into rotation.
1: Um, oh, that's even more optimistic, isn't
0: it? Utopia for realists, um, which is a book about how we can rebuild our society. I imagine.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the one of the uh, probably one of the chapters is about how you should just read. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there, so you should read all the books they've written, and then it will give you the tools you need to rebuild society. <laughs>
0: Uh, origin story which is a book about the the start of human beings that one there is actually if you went around if i took enough time and went through them all you'll notice that there was a particular time where i was like i'm going to find out more about the sort story of human beings i'm to so say there's a lot of books that would <laughs> fall okay. into that who category. are
1: these guys okay so like homo <laughs> sapiens you would have read sapiens did you did you get into sapiens
0: well, what I can tell you, hey, Mitch, is I certainly have it on my shelf. I if we went over to the right go- hand side, <laughs> <laughs> we would really find good. and definitely a copy of Sapiens.
1: <laughs> but I mean, I loved Sapiens. I, that is one book I did read, and but this is the this is why I'm looking forward to the future when we can just upload books into yeah. our head and have perfect retention. Like it is enjoyable reading dense books like that, and this with well dense for me, pithy concepts. You know, slightly, slightly mind-bending, great ideas, but you know, a book like that that's sort of like four, five hundred pages long. I was reading one the other night, um, just called just 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 out of interest. I mean, I kind of I dip into five or six books at a time, like which frustrates my wife a lot. But I sometimes go to bed and just whatever I'm vibing, I'll just see where I end up. So I'm 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 reading this book and then I can I ask?
0: Sorry, just on just on it offending your wife. Does it offend your wife because that's not how she reads books? Or does it offend your wife as an author? Because is there a part of her that is just like, as an author, I don't like the idea that other people are doing this with my books?
1: 100%. I mean, it'd be like you as a stand-up going where someone's like, yeah, man, I I came to your gig. I mean, I sort of was walking in and out, bits and pieces. I uh, left halfway through, went and got a burger, came back in. Uh, sort of had heard heard, heard the this, this setup near the end, then I kind of wandered out again <laughs> because I was watching an ESPN documentary on my phone. It is it's, it's no doubt frustrating that you are not consuming it uh, in in the way I am not getting sucked into these books. But especially with the nonfiction stuff, like you go back to chapter one, you forget it all. You've forgotten it all. I went back and reread a chapter one of a book that taking me, you know, four or five months to read. I don't know if this is just, but you you don't have the recollection. So there's a bit of you going, what am I doing this for? I can't recall anything from this book.
0: Um, a mate of mine who I went to school with is actually a really fabulous author. His name is Max Barry and he's a Melbourne guy and he's, I really highly recommend his books. And so he's written his latest book and that was the first novel, you know, like just novel reading for fun that I had done for a long time. So basically that's what it takes That's what it takes is me having been friends with you at high school. I've played high school theatre sports with you. If you write a book and I've previously liked the books that you've written, I will read that book in full start to finish. But thats So I don't know who who this guy is I'm buying all these other books for.
1: It's a heck of a badge to put on. Like you might have the Premier's Literary Awards and then you've got a badge that says, I have been to your house uh, for over a decade and I know you personally. That's the badge that you're looking for on books. All right, I'll buy this book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this one feels like it's for me
1: <laughs> oh good book
0: chat um sapiens well just before we, we're we done with book chat yeah what was your major take out of sapiens so if i if somebody sees sapiens on my bookshelf and they're like oh you've read sapiens and i want to go yeah I've, I've, yeah i've dipped into it what what could i say what was
1: your takeaway from it oh, that man, i can drop good. in the conversation and like this goes to my earlier point of just going geez i wish i'd have you know, the recall is like... I probably read Sapiens two or three years ago. Um, Homo Deus, which is its follow-up, I can remember a bit of stuff from that too. I reckon it's... Do you know that... Th- actually, this is the, this is one great thing that I learned from Sapiens and it is interesting it, um, speaking to someone that at one stage had a had a desire to learn more about us as a species that seems to have waned along with their desire to learn more about um, misogyny and, and fake news. But at one stage you had the desire... Um, it talks a lot about why we became successful as a species uh or why we like how we ended up here as you know that we started out just like any other animal and now we've just got this absolute dominant um position on planet earth and it is a strange thing to think about and it, and it steps it back one of the great things that i still actually do think about that came from this book was it's Homo sapiens have the ability to unify way, way, way more people, uh, way, way, way more members of their species than any other animal does. Like you might have baboons that like are in tribes and stuff, but there's a maximum number of people you can know, like a maximum number of other animals in your tribe. You can know like maybe 100, 150. That's a big tribe of baboons. But if they run into a tribe of baboons from the other side of the valley, there's no that, – that they can't cooperate. And so human beings – and Homo sapiens got to the level right because we can cooperate and one of the big reasons that the, the book puts forward that you can do that is because we're the only animals we know of that are capable of fiction. We can invent ideas that aren't there so religion or corporations or countries are all things that are imagined but we all believe the same fiction um, not this is not me trying to be offensive to religions but it's like we 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 can meet you can meet a you know a Christian can meet a Christian and go we believe the same thing we've never met each other we have no other reason to trust each other um, but we know we're not enemies because we're, we we have a common belief and so I'm like it, and that is fiction that we we're the only species that are like we can imagine a sun god without having seen a sun god and we can do a painting of it on a cave wall no other animals to the best of our knowledge are doing that so that is one well thing that's that I the heard.
0: ultimate example of like what you know what what money has become in our society right because money but yeah to totally money more than anything is a story it is a story that is like you you can have a hundred dollars in your pocket and the they can change the idea of what your money's worth in America and then suddenly you can't buy as much stuff in America right it is just the but the actual exactly what you have it It's all just the story of money that we've all decided we believe this story and we buy into this story of money.
1: And it's what society's built on. It's like the whole, all... And look, there are benefits to being in society. Um, You know, you don't have to make your own clothes because you can be a comedian who gets paid these little tokens that you can swap for clothes. So it it enables you to specialise. You don't have to make your own kettle. Uh, So it just makes life a bit easier. We have access to resources and things But isn't that even just
0: amazing Like that when you think about that You're like we've decided that your jokes What you have to bring to this marketplace that we have Is like you know Your jokes are like worth three shirts or whatever That's what we've we've divvied it up And to to make that (laughs) transaction Somebody can't just give you three three, You're
1: you're getting three shirts (laughs) for that stuff That's good man (laughs) I mean, I knew you were doing well, but that's well done. <laughs> For people that haven't been to, I mean, I know it's you know one of the tragedies of the coronavirus is the comedy Festival was cancelled this year, so you miss the opportunity to to go to one of Will's gigs and and see people throwing shirts, shoes, kettles, phones, <laughs> cutting out the middleman. The people that uh, attend under the barter ticket and they don't have to pay money to go to the show. I've always enjoyed seeing those people throw their items onto stage at the end of at the end of the gig. There would be. Nothing that I would love
0: more than to at least one night of the comedy <laughs> festival have a night where you have to you give me do a the appropriate gig. amount of, like, recompense but within the industry in which you work. I don't care what it is. If you're a teacher, you have to teach me $45 worth of shit. You know what I mean? Like
1: That is great. That is really good. I mean, I think you've essentially reinvented barter card. Remember barter card? That was, like, the kind of the gist of barter card. From what I understood... A barter card sort of came and went before I graduated into the adult world of needing to understand money that much. But, it like, some stores still accepted it, I remember, when I was a kid. And I think that's what it was, wasn't it? It was like you – there's like a like a library that you log. Well, I'm a Sparky, so I'll, I'm going to, you know, I'll promise 2000 bucks of work. And that's just – then it goes do into you the think if, system. But anyway, I would well, love to see that gig. Do you, you think if that was gig.
0: the system? Because I'm absolutely up for that gig. Because what I would love – is I wouldn't check beforehand, before the show, what what any of the people did. Mm. I just want there to be a collection area and a whatever. Yeah, now that I, and so then you've done the show and then you have now the that excitement. I'm thinking about
1: it. it you, finding out what you get. I mean, there's yeah. gonna, here's my first, my blink reaction. You're going to have a large differentiation between goods and services. Now, if somebody makes cutlery, you're going to get a fork or a handmade knife and that's lovely. If someone's a hitman, they're going to do $45 worth of damage to one of your enemies, which might not be a lot for that hitman. He might yeah. be a $5,000 hitman. So you're going to get a hitman go around and flick someone in the eye for you because that's only $45 worth. So goods and services will be difficult to differentiate. No, but I think that's when it becomes even more exciting. I'm not.
0: I, I, you've switched off your parent brain for a second. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Trying to work out how you can <laughs> spend $45 Absolutely. on a. Oh, so Hitman's like you can have forty-five dollars
1: worth of my hitman services. Here are your options, how we use I, it? I've got one percent right. of a hit. <laughs> how do I use one percent of a hit? Well I tell you what, I didn't like the cutlery I got. Go, yeah, and, flick go that and give guy. that guy's
0: podcast a one-star review. Like
1: that's that's forty-five dollars worth of destroying <laughs> his life. That's worth that's worth one percent of death. <laughs> <laughs> give his YouTube video a thumbs down and a nasty comment. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Be one of those weird people on super popular YouTube videos where there's like 187,000 thumbs up and like nine thumbs yep. downs. Be one of the thumbs yep. down guys.
0: One of those is a guy spending forty five dollars of his Hitman money. So <laughs> I like that for a start. The you know like what services you would get? Because imagine. Because then I have to use the services, right? So if I have a thousand people at a show and incredible. there are a thousand people who have not, not all different jobs, but let's just say a thousand people who have to offer me, you know, $50 worth of their goods and or services and legitimately they have to do that to pay. This then how exciting is the next you know few months of my life as I have to like work out ways to spend
1: this stuff? What? Honestly, like the the next year's show would just be about those 1000 right. people and how you got paid. Like I think there's probably like an hour of material. I mean, in it. you could do that as a
0: one-off show. I'm actually serious about this now. You do a one-off barter show where everybody who comes agrees to give me $50 totally. worth of their goods or their services and then and, and then I can just use them and then that's next year's I could actually yeah, that could be a TV show.
1: <laughs> that's this is a this is, a, this is something. But I I, I kind of love the idea that yeah because it's fifty dollars is such a there's only there's probably I'm just guessing here like more industries where it's a partial credit than a fully mm. realized item so you're gonna get what I love about it is your next year will be full of people coming over to fix the sink walking in the door unscrewing a bolt halfway and going and I'm done. All right mate. Uh, like I leave it I leave you here. Uh, you need uh, you need a plumber to come over and do the $220 more work. Sorry. See you later.
0: Uh but technically could could I not, you know, I might need say like a $300 job done and I could just take $50 off and pay the rest of the $250. Okay.
1: Okay. What about this though? you could start inter-trading them and bundling them, mm. right? So you've oh, got yeah. a plumber coming over. He's only got $50 worth of credit. You're like, okay, how much would it come over to fix the sink? Uh, it's about 200 mm-hmm. bucks. Okay, well, how would you – can I pay you – I'll take your credit. Uh, I got I got a $50 wheel alignment yeah. from a guy that said he'd do a wheel alignment. Yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got $50 worth of a remedial massage, which is about 35 minutes worth, so you can have half of that, and then – then you can start bundling them. Then after a while, you probably realise, if only there was like some system that equated all this together. (laughs) And then you go full circle and reinvent currency.
0: Do you think if it went back to a system where that was on that barter basis, you would then tailor your material to what your needs were in your own life? So instead of doing my... So for example, if I'd have a guess... At just from me doing crowd work what are prominent industries of people who come to see my shows there, there would be teachers doctors and nurses and people who work in IT they seem to be like if, if we covered off those areas I'm going to get more than one nurse I'm going to get more than one teacher I'm going to get more than one person who works in IT that's going to be am I eventually going to start doing some stuff that are yeah, you attract know, some tradies because I need to get some plumbing done at the house. You know, am I going to kind yeah, of right, pivot yeah, on my right. material?
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, you just uh, like you know, just calling the show uh, like Will's leaky roof or whatever, uh, and just just to try and get some working guys <laughs> into the gig. Yeah, I mean you, that 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 is a bit of a that could be a bit of a problem. Did you? I mean, speaking of like, if the world came to this where where it was like, well, what do I actually bring? Like, what 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 if we had to barter? Um, did you? just when it was like peak panic for Corona, did you have a mini thought about going, if Armageddon hits, what, what do I have to offer? Like, will people be interested in a humorous newsletter if we're all bunkered down together? I, I, I can't do dentistry. I can't make clothes. I'm not a blacksmith. I won't be able to, you know, I don't have a stockpile of anything useful. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how people in our profession go in a post-apocalyptic world in terms of like tradable skills. Oh, people still need to listen to podcasts. I mean, come on. Big time. Sorry, you're right. Actually, we're safe. Essential service. Yes. Mate, seriously,
0: in a futuristic world, the standards of entertainment are so low that in uh, Mad Max Fury Road, they're happy with one guitarist strapped to the front of a car. They didn't even have, you don't think I can't do that? You don't think I can't do some observational material as we're driving along Fury
1: Road? (laughs) I think people would enjoy a topical podcast strapped to the front of a truck. You're right. You're right. This is good.
0: Um, No, you're absolutely right that we are. Well, I mean, I I felt it particularly just because of the timing of it. You know, the first thing that really went was the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And that's been like a thing that I've done every year for the last 25 years. And then suddenly you were like, oh, We are an entirely non-essential industry. As soon as shit goes down, we're the first thing that they go. There was no argument around, should we cancel the comedy festival? Nobody else was like, no, no, no. The one thing we need in these times is to laugh. Everyone was like, no, you guys are, you're out. You're definitely out.
1: It was just, yeah, it was was swept across a minister's desk somewhere and was given a no thought line through it yeah um, but that was I mean that was the brutal thing wasn't it when it when this sort of started happening it was one of those like benchmarks too where you know around right about January everyone's like oh this is bad but I mean life won't change and then we're like oh this is bad but life might change a little bit and like uh, the comedy festival was just one of those surely not moments wasn't it where you sort of like yeah of course can't all be in the same room together but at, well, at in a room
0: that, where the yeah. person on stage is literally trying to get people to expel fluid from their faces.
1: Yeah. Like and in surprising moments where they're not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and the person making all the money is safe because they're a long way away from everybody. <laughs> I'll be yeah, standing bizarre, right
0: at the back of the stage, guys.
1: Yeah, it was but I suppose it's that thing of just like you know, it's like people with like everyone's like, oh my god, you know the Logies. How do you feel? It's like, guys, did anyone think the Logies was going ahead? I mean, they cancelled the Olympics. They're not going to put the Logies on. Like, at what in what world can the Olympics, as like a symbol of humanity and the world coming together, does that get moved bit for safety reasons? But you know, but we can't do without the Logies.
0: It's I'm I still admire some of the optimism of the people who haven't cancelled things. That are like you said, much smaller deals than the bigger deals that have been cancelled. That are you know, yeah. there is that real thing of going no, 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 no. Some, somebody talked to me about some gig in May the other day. I was like, it's May now. We can't be doing <laughs> gigs in May. We won't be doing gigs <laughs> this year probably. Yeah. It's a, but it's like, a,
1: definitely it's a, not in May. It's a touching one in our house because my wife's fortieth is in um, my wife's fortieth is in uh, July, and I am running what to the to the untrained eye you might call a policy of just blind lying um, against what I truly believe, which is it will be fine, honey. I'm sure by July it'll be party time, no need to worry. But uh, privately I think it might just be me doing a sexy dance in the bedroom, the the dance out of True Lies, and uh, saying maybe, maybe you get a better party next year.
0: I mean... I mean, there's a chance that there could be a party by then. You could incorporate it into the theme of the party. Like, everybody could, you know, approach. Gas mask party.
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 All right, guys, grab a mask, decorate it up. Kind of like a masquerade party, slightly more post apocalyptic tones. Uh, Have a great night. it's all in the pitch, mate. It's all in the pitch. <laughs> it's all in the pitch. I'm going to take her looking for bugs under a bush for her 40th. <laughs> 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 um, do you
0: think that this time will actually change the world? That's the question that I'm starting to ask people now is because there are kind of are two schools of thoughts. One is let's get back to normal as quick as possible, and the other one is aren't there some things that we've learned during this time that we should take back into the new normal? and where do you feel about
1: that? I guess we all would like to think it's it would in this because then I don't know it makes us feel it's been not just you know there's been the health benefit of isolation but then there's also been like a mental or a societal benefit as well that we've shifted things. I'd like to th- I'd like to think that we kind of are going this is great we've learnt we've learnt you know about some efficiencies and we've we've introspected a lot more and we've learned to prioritize maybe what was and wasn't important and we're more grateful for stuff and that would all be great things then I'm also reminded a bit of the Simpsons episode where Homer thinks he's gonna die and sort of tries to spend his last day on earth and you know, then just tries to do everything he's wanted to do and sits on the couch and he thinks he's going to die and then the sun rises and he didn't die. I think it was from The Puffer Fish. It might be season three or season four. Mike listening to this will definitely know. And then he's like, that's it. I'm never going to take a day for granted again. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to smell the roses. I'm going to do everything. And then it just cuts to a week from a week on and he's just eating pork rinds, watching the football on TV. I got a little bit of a vibe that we may just do that in like, you know, a year from now, two years from now, we're just all sort of back to doing exactly what we were doing but i reckon at the very least we've learnt that a lot of meetings can be remote like you do not have to be in the in a room for a, anything that's like a technical meeting i think stuff like this like the actual human function of catching up i think in a weird way one of the positives to come out of it is we do need to be face to face we like that's a good thing to come out of this that eventually we'll go back to being face to face and it has a value like we miss it for a reason Like live comedy does need to have a live audience because that's a magical part of the comedy. You can't just do a stand-up from your house on Zoom. And like TV shows do need an audience because like that's a part of the experience that you're all having a shared experience together and there's an energy to that that you can't fake. But there's some things that don't need to be arbitrarily like everybody face-to-face. So in a weird way, hopefully the lesson is like there's a great reason for human beings to be together and then sometimes there's like an irrelevant reason for them to be together. So hopefully we've learnt to pick what are the good reasons for us to all be together because it's, it's worth being around other people. And then what are the time-saving ones that we could probably do without?
0: I think sport is one of those ones where I think sports people will realise because I think that sport is going to be played a little bit without... Comedy won't go back without audiences. I mean, people have totally. found out, you know, other ways to it's do it, totally. like you said, without the audiences. But in a general sense, it's not like we're going to have six months of the comedy season, you know, playing to venues that don't have any audiences. TV shows, it's it's a bit different. Like TV shows yep. we'll be doing without a live audience and that sort of stuff. But for live comedy, it's it's just not going to happen. But these sports people are going to realise how different it is to play their games when there's nobody
1: there. I think so too. I think it'll be in, it'll be. Again, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. I don't think anyone's gonna go. This is better. So it's gonna suck for a while that it's 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 a it's a shadow of what it used to be because the crowd. We know this. The crowd isn't such an important aspect as you would know better than anybody else. Like the energy of the crowd is the second half of the equation, and and that's the same with football. It elevates people. It gives them a chance to do the things that you only see in grand finals. You only see an amazing. Moments, because there's a hundred thousand people that it's in front of, and we all understand like the implicit pressure of doing it in front of that many people, and it makes it all the more impressive when people rise to the occasion. So, it's like it's a very real part of it. Like obviously, they're in a weird spot having to like fulfill a season, but I think it'll be interesting to see how people cope, especially with like yeah, with 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 NRL and footy. It's, it'll be interesting because I think all the stuff we go with when we go, yeah, I love the footy. It'll make us re- make us think about what we actually mean when we say that, I reckon. And and I think what we mean is we, we love all the things it's come to stand for. Like, you know, I hope that it can still, for the players' sake and just, you know, I'm sure everyone wants to be entertained still. They'll do a great job, I'm sure, of like getting us through this time. No one's pretending it's going to be better than it was. But it will make us, I think, real people will be like, oh, I loved the ritual of like, it was Friday night or it was this long or there was this many interchanges or, it, you know... I, I loved you know, knowing that even if I only went to three games a season, that I could be going to one in a few weeks' time and that made watching it with a crowd on TV more enjoyable because I know I'm going to be in that crowd soon and all that sort of stuff.
0: Uh, okay, last time we spoke on this podcast, um, we, we were talking about the cricket. Australia were playing cricket in South Africa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, were, we picked the most... Do you remember We were like it was like two days before Sandpaper Gate? And so we like completely picked like the... I can't even remember what we were talking about. I remember being at the time, it was like the headline of the day and it was like the least... It will go down in history as the least scandalous scandal of all time. Do you even remember what... Like, it I was like can't
0: some, remember. It was I bowling too
1: many bounces or
0: something. I remember us speaking so passionately about it oh, and no, like really kind of happened. making some... You know, some real predictions about what had happened. You know, somebody on September the tenth going, "I reckon we're going to have a really yes, lovely week of weather." Yeah. I think that's what this it week's was going like to the, be about. The,
1: the the day before Watergate, going, "Man, that Nixon, you know, we see. I can't believe he's it's got an unpaid parking fine. Like this is big. This will be the generation defining scandal of the president." <laughs> yeah, that um, uh, was, was, was a. So yes.
0: A few days later, um, the cricketing world changed very substantially when the now, you know, I've I've, I've definitely got a book about Sandpaper Gate on my shelf that I have not read, but I feel (laughs)
1: like... (laughs) Great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Absolutely one that's there.
0: Did did you, how how did you feel about cricket during that time? Did you stick with it? How did you feel about the journey back into the team from the players? Like, you know, how do you feel about Sandpaper Gate in, in retrospect now that time has passed?
1: Well, I mean, if you'd read my book, uh, you would know uh, that I published very, very quickly after the If you've read Sandpaper Gate, my take um, by Hamish Blake, <laughs> I can see it on the bookshelf behind you. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was really. It's interesting, isn't it? When in hindsight, I mean, I think it all just comes down to like, you know, it. It comes down to hu- the human condition, a bit, doesn't it? You know, like the. Of course, they made. You know, of course, those guys made a mistake. They made it. You know, one of those things where you, it's. I suppose it's evidence of being in a bubble or being in a situation where you're not really thinking through the ramifications, and then you do think through the ramifications, and of course, in hindsight, it looks crystal clear, but. It's one of those things that had happened in a moment through whatever the the lapse of judgment was. But I reckon, I, I think my overall takeaway from it was it's a it's an interesting a great lesson. Like I think all the players involved did a. It's an interesting lesson to go like that. There's no other way to put it. Was a lapse of judgment. It was an error. They know they knew it was an error. They fronted up to it. They they copped it. And in that moment, it's interesting now looking at it with a year or two or like kind of two years on. And they all sort of said it at the time, there's like, well, there's nothing we can say now to fix this. Like we can say we're sorry and we can say we did the wrong thing and that will happen to people in life. And you wish there's something magic you could say on the day that would make the whole press gallery lower their cameras and go, oh, yeah, well, good, cool. Uh, we'll leave you alone. But there's not. Like, but what they did say and what they followed through on is like, you know, words can be now and then actions take time. And then what I thought was super impressive was the, with all three of those guys, they just went, well, we can say sorry and we can, we, we can tell you all the words that we can say now, but we're just going to have to let our actions do the talking. And they did, you know, like they, I think there was, it was even though it was like a dark day for Australian sport, there's still a lot of um, impressive things I think were done afterwards with, you know, like Steve Smith and Warren Bancroft and those guys going to play, you know, help with junior cricket or stay involved in the game or give back and, and uh, you know, and, and be of service in that way. I think, that element was super impressive because what else can you do after something like that than to you know through your actions just go okay I've learnt I've learnt something and then you know for I haven't watched all of the Amazon um, doc at the moment but I am loving it, the test um, then for you know there's your personal actions off the field which I think every they all sort of did a great job of in terms of in terms of going okay it's it was that was then and and now I'm going to show people. That I've learnt the lesson, and then there was the actual professional actions, like some of which was pretty phenomenal. Like Steve Smith coming in and you know scoring two hundreds in that first test was, of course, you're not. It, no one's going. Yes, it made Sandpaper Gate worth it because this is a better story. But it was, it was a. It's it is remarkable. I think for anyone that you know deals with pressure and understands the the idea of public pressure. Which a lot of you don't have to have been in the public to know that, but you know everyone can have thinking about it through that prism to then be able to to front up and do what you need to do, and not make a mistake. Like to you know to do that on the world stage and not make a mistake, I think is uh, was was amazing, super impressive.
0: It it goes to. I'm glad you brought that aspect of i'm glad i glad i asked you i didn't really know what i was going for when i asked that question and well, i guess i never gone, really thought about it but <laughs> you've you've gone to a, a really interesting place with it because i think that that is also a bit how i feel about it but the way you articulated it i think is one of these things where if i'd read misogynation i'd uh probably uh, <laughs> understand <laughs> hamish that uh women have been pretty hard done by and there's been a lot of you know obviously we're trying to reconcile past behaviour with current behaviour. And that could be the Mm. same when it comes to race. It could be the same as when it comes to, uh, you know, dealing with people who are members of the, you know, gay community or the trans community. You know, these are all things that we're constantly having to reconcile mistakes that have been Mm. made in the past with how we want to treat those people and those groups now. And often, somebody will get something wrong and we deal with that idea of going, okay, is this person a terrible person? Are they a person who just doesn't have enough information yet? Like, do they just yep. not know something that, you know, all of us learnt like last year, but, you know, if they're educated in the right way, like, do we cancel somebody? Do we rehabilitate somebody? Do we have the, people have the opportunity to make up for the mistakes that they've made? And I think we're at a really interesting part of our society at the moment where there's a lot of different approaches to that and debates around what we do with that. But I think what the cricketers have done is as close to a good example as you can do, which is firstly, you've got to apologise and they apologise. Secondly, you've got to not just apologise, not just say sorry, but speak about your understanding of why you knew it was wrong and make promises yeah. to not act in that way in the future. And then most importantly, you've got to pay your punishment. You've got to do the time, not try to get it reduced, not try to find some sneaky way to get around the rules. Pay your punishment and do it. And then you've just got to prove with your actions that you are a changed person. And that to me, if, if we could get into that being celebrated as a th- the thing that is part of our cycle, then it gives people a way out of fucking shit up.
1: Well, I, I I agree, and I think I mean, doesn't that have to be the system? Because it because if you're somebody that is calling to light uh, something that's 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 happened that's 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 wrong, or that's an injustice, uh, you know, and no one's you know, Sandberg got, it wasn't right. You're not allowed to ball tamper. Like, there's no defense for it. There's no two sides to it. So, but for the people that were like, well, they've done the wrong thing, and they have to they have to they have to pay for it. You know, in any in in these situations you're talking about, I think when someone you know is yeah, perhaps isn't enlightened or hasn't hasn't considered uh, the ramifications of what they might have done that it's hurt people, that it's upset people. We do have to live in a culture, don't we, where we go, "That's great, thanks for thanks for understanding and changing it, and celebrate the 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 change as well, like celebrate the lesson learning, because otherwise it is just you if you've done something wrong you're in the bin forever and then then that's that like and and that you would think that that for everyone's sake for society's sake like learning lessons and evolving and becoming more enlightened and understanding is the whole point like we all want to move forward like that together don't we
0: i mean i think we do too hamish but uh who fucking knows? This might be the brave new world <laughs> that we're all going to go into. <laughs> I don't know. I've got to read some of these books and then I'll, I'll work it out. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's got to be in there somewhere. You've got 25,000 pages of books. Yeah, way. it might be the last podcast I ever do because I, I might be a professional book reader now. But um, yeah, if you've tuned in now, Will Anderson is currently reading through this stack of books that he has behind him. He'll be done in <laughs> 100 years. Uh,
0: I wonder if I would be a different person though. Like if I had all that extra knowledge, if I had a hundred books worth of knowledge, would I be like a better person? Would I be a smarter person? Would I Very be nice. a...
1: Well, I mean, I could only I only could recall one thing from *Sapiens*, and that's a giant book. <laughs> so, I mean, you'd have a hundred. You might have a hundred more thoughts. You might have a hundred more thoughts in your head. Did you ever hear that thing about Tony Martin? I don't think I've ever asked him if this is true, but I think after he finished *Radio*, after Tony and Mick finished *Martin Malloy*, I think there was a thing where Tony read two books a week. I think he tried to read a 100 books in a year, like classics. You know, like he, he read like, you know, like Catcher in the Rye and then he'd read to like a modern book or whatever and he tried to just like build up his resume of having read books. I believe it with Tony. I don't think any other human beings are capable of It's
0: it. one of those great things is that I also believe it with Tony, which means that he could do it or just not do it. He's currently walking every street in Melbourne. Yes. you know that well at least my understanding is that he's currently they have a pl- they're walking every suburb in melbourne in an entire like every street every suburb in melbourne in a pattern it's like this you know project that's just already taken years and years and will take further years and years and the truth of it is i've done no further investigation other than tony saying that he's doing this but i just believe it because it's tony i agree i'd have a whole bunch of other mates who <laughs> if they kept saying on radio they'll walking every suburb of melbourne i was like why do you keep lying to people on the radio mates
1: <laughs> True. Well, for all we know, Tony's sitting at home with like three or four marketing geniuses going, Here's something else people might believe you're doing. Um, why don't you tell him? <laughs> because he's that kind of guy. He's that kind of dedicated guy. Uh, uh, well, thank you very much for doing this, mate. I really do appreciate it. No, no absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Um, it's always super fun.